0: and we're back what's up everybody welcome to another episode of wildlife cake and cocktails we are on the road once again you could probably hear uh, a little bit of car travel vehicle noise um, as we're heading on our way up to rainbow beach community center for the second ever Kalula Bioblitz. Uh, once again, the Kalula Bioblitz. Um, we were there uh, last year, um, around August, um, and this one is in uh, mid-May, pretty much. Uh, so, uh, fantastic little thing. Um, Christian, my uh, producer is uh, here with me in the car, obviously, working the uh, soundboard and the sound control as we come through some heavy weather. <laughs> uh, how you doing, Christian?
1: Good, thanks, Yanni. So, Yanni's driving, and there's one microphone, I'm controlling it, so, so we're being safe. <laughs> just to, just to emphasize that to everyone
0: yeah and he's avoiding from like holding it up in front of me like in in my uh, field of vision so um that's nice it means i can see the road um yeah uh second bioblitz um how, how are you feeling man uh, looks uh, like we're gonna be in for a little bit of a wetter experience than last time
1: yeah it definitely seems that way i wonder if it'll clear up um but i mean otherwise look it's uh it's great to be back and i can't believe it's already happening again um where is the last sort of 10 months gone
0: yeah that just flew by didn't it um it seems like yeah it wasn't so long since we were out here with um the frog teams and the spider teams and the vertebrate teams and the plant teams and the bird teams and oh everybody um yeah running around in the field and uh looking at all the amazing stuff that they were finding um yeah it really doesn't seem like that long ago look um i think we're going to be uh, <laughs> where we're not going to have quite as much uh field time on this show um i've got a a broken toe <laughs> first and foremost but also um as per usual anytime we try to get together and do a podcast the um the the work starts to pick up and the snake phone goes off so even on the way out here we've had to stop and um pick up a an eastern brown snake that was uh in pretty poor condition um yeah a bit of a new one hey
1: yeah that was interesting i hadn't seen that condition
0: before what did you call it again so it had um a pretty serious case of impaction so it had an impacted colon, or an impacted cloaca, or or bowel. Basically, it was unable to pass any um, any faecal matter um, because it was all blocked up. Um, now that can happen for a number of reasons. It can be uh, an egg. It can be a reproductive issue where things get egg bound, and then the egg, uh, you know, also you know, kind of rots inside them. Or they can um, they can have an external injury that leads them to not being able to you know uh, you know. Uh, evacuate their bowels properly and that leads to that impaction as it all dehydrates and turns into a hard horrible mass Um, not sure exactly what was up with this guy but um, definitely a very very large uh, swelling right at the uh, back end of the snake and the rest of him didn't look great either obviously hasn't eaten for a while um, and uh, yeah not looking great but um, now in with some vets and, uh, and we're back on the road
1: I mean that's typical, um, and Johnny knows obviously. Whenever I try to go to his house to discuss any uh, business to do with the podcast, um, he gets a snake call. So I guess I'm a good luck charm for him, and that's that's a bit of a running joke of ours, isn't it?
0: Yeah, well, yeah. We ne- we never really seem to get uh, get anything else done except you know chat for two minutes and then out I go jumping into the car and when, <laughs> when the, the friggin' bat signal is up in the sky and the phone's going off, I got to run out the door. <laughs> so, uh, you know, uh, we we still manage to work around it and, and get everything done. But um, yeah, geez, uh, you, you do seem to attract the work for me. Look,
1: I think that I think that's a good thing. I'm glad I'm glad you're earning some money. Uh, it, it's <laughs> you know, it's not easy, and it's the nature of your snake catching work is very seasonal, as well. So, you know, any any time we do get some work, even if it interrupts our our work or um our socializing, that's not really a big issue for me. You know, I'm just just happy that you're out there
0: earning. And doing what you love, really, what you're passionate about. Well, that's it, yeah. I, I am very fortunate to do what I do. I, I, I can't, uh, yeah, can't say anything negative about that. But, um, yeah, no, it's it's uh, always a bit of a challenge juggling all of this. But, hey, we make it work. And, um, look, here we are again. We're, we've stopped. We've uh, dropped off an eastern brown snake at a at a vet. And um, and uh, we're back on the road heading out to Kalula Byerblitz. So, yeah, happy days.
1: Absolutely. And it's a real... We always really relish, don't we, um, any chance we get to go out in the field? Um, and you know, last year, the the folks at the Bioblitz embraced us completely, and we had such a terrific time with them. And I'm really great. Uh, really great. I'm really uh, looking forward to um, continuing on with that and seeing what things, uh, what opportunities present themselves this year.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So um, we should maybe, I guess, uh, for our audience at home, uh, I guess discuss bio blitz a little bit. <sighs> um, so, what is bio blitz? It's basically a uh, short, focused period of biological survey of a local region or area. Um, they are basically you're going out. Uh, they're basically organised uh, scientific uh, and community group efforts to. Do as much bio discovery in in an area as possible and really get a good understanding of what biodiversity they have from plants to animals and fungi and uh, I believe uh, a lot of the time even um, other microbes are involved Um, but yeah it's a it's a concerted community effort to find what species are living in an area. Now Kalula Bioblitz this will be the second one ever a beautiful area here in the uh, Kalula sands uh, just south of the Fraser Island Great uh, Sandy National Park and uh, organized by Kalula Coast Care. Um, You can find them on kalulacoastcare.org.au and on Facebook at Kalula Coast Care and by the Fraser Island Defenders Organization. That's Fido, F-I-D-O.org.au and you can also find them at Fraser Island Defenders Organization on Facebook. Um, And we are heading, um, as we mentioned, to the uh, Rainbow Beach community hall um pretty much in the center of rainbow beach and that's where um that's going to be the center of operations for the bioblitz as it was last year
1: yeah we i think it's probably worth mentioning as well that we had the we had the honor last year of meeting uh john sinclair who was I uh, believe the the one of the founders basically of fido yeah he was
0: yeah he was a founder of um and, uh, back in
1: 1971 wow yeah so last year for those of you who know unfortunately he passed away uh, earlier this year um and it was it was a great it was a great honor um, to meet him and I believe in our last Kalula show we should have some um, audio of him talking about some of the summaries from uh, the
0: field surveys. Yeah, um, I remember. Yeah, we recorded the summary of uh, the last uh, bio blitz that was presented by John there, which was fantastic. And it was just uh, it was a great experience meeting such a dedicated conservationist uh as uh, as john sinclair he worked so hard to protect uh fraser island from logging and sand mining um and has uh even since then um uh you know gone on to do more work uh, with other conservation groups around the harvey bay including um obviously kalula coast Guard here in the kalula area just such a passionate and fantastic advocate for conservation and wildlife and uh Well, definitely, uh, he's going to be very, very sorely missed, but his legacy lives on, Um, and uh, Fraser Island uh, Defenders' organization continues to do uh, a lot of this amazing work, such as the Bioblitz that's going to be going on today. Yeah, and I guess, um, you know, we're, we're very thankful
1: for those people, those sort of seminal figures in conservation who've really sacrificed a lot and given a lot of their own energy and their own vital essence, really, to help protect our environment uh, for people like you and I, Yanni, for for the younger generation?
0: Absolutely. Uh, It it would would be hard to say that we would have a um, World Heritage listed sand island off the coast of of Queensland um, if it hadn't have been for people like John Sinclair and the um, Fraser Island Defenders pushing for um, World Heritage listing and for protection of those um, amazing sand islands which Uh, A lot of uh, other people basically saw it as a resource. um, A resource for sand mining and logging um, rather than uh, the, uh, I guess, uh, unique ecosystems and and, uh, homes for biodiversity that they
1: really are. And this is something that's um, really becoming quite an issue at the moment is how are we valuing our unique habitat and our beautiful habitat? And what what choices are we going to make into the future? Are we going to preserve... <clears throat> these habitats um, or are we going to view them as a resource to be exploited and frankly I, it's my view as well that if we preserve these areas people from around the world will come to see them
2: well
0: definitely tourism is a huge part of the industry once you get up here um, into the northern parts of Queensland particularly um, you know here in the um, great sandy Kalula area sort of Noosa up towards the Harvey Bay region there's, there's plenty of natural wonder here for tourists to come and see but I was uh, you know, just thinking as well, the other great thing about BioBlitz is they do have so many community groups involved and they are inviting community members in from all over. I believe um, last year there was close to 100 different people from all around the community area p- participating in the BioBlitz from all the way down from uh, Brisbane and up north to a lot, a lot of the local people here from the uh, uh, Rainbow Beach area also participating in, um, in this amazing bio discovery where you get to kind of work shoulder to shoulder with uh, a team of amazing field ecologists whether or not uh, whether they're botanists entomologists bird uh ornithologists Ornithologists, i was gonna i was gonna say bird nerds Uh, or herpetologists or uh, mammologists or or whatever they might be you get to work alongside these amazingly um passionate dedicated and uh, you know people with some serious expertise and uh hopefully i i imagine a lot of some of that enthusiasm and passion for nature and conservation rubs off um on the the local community members as well
1: I would definitely agree with that and I also think that it's really important that people who are participating in these kinds of activities can see that they are, uh, you know, providing something uh, really tangible, um, their, their efforts are, you know, measurable and it's such a terrific contribution and such a rewarding thing to get involved in, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. They can see the numbers coming in uh, with uh, you know, the 37 new spider species discovered. And, um, you know, I, I don't even quite remember. It was There was hundreds and maybe even in the thousands um, of uh, recordings that um, many of the teams were, you know, sorting through in their data collection afterwards. So many, many thousand observations and recordings. Um, that's, uh, that's a lot of information. And um, it really doesn't... Uh, you, you don't need to... Uh, necessarily yourself have that level of expertise when you have those experts in the field guiding you and you can really help um be a part of some of these amazing outcomes um just by getting in the field um with these bio blitzers and bush blitzes um that are happening around uh, australia and around the world and look we uh, we have senses right most people we have two eyes two ears
1: hands you know we we can still contribute. You don't necessarily need a high level of expertise to be able to contribute and for that, contrib- that
0: contribution to be meaningful. Absolutely. And it's becoming easier and easier. Um, as we've um, you know spoke about often um, on this show, there's a, a range of new citizen science apps um, that are uh, becoming available. Um, and uh, I think one of the ones that we're going to be using fairly heavily um, up here with the Kalula Bioblitz is iNaturalist. iNaturalist. Yep. Yeah, it's, a, it's another a fantastic smartphone app. Anyway. No. Um, so, yeah, one of the uh, apps that we're going to be using up here is iNaturalist. And uh, it's one of these uh, new kind of waves of smartphone technology that are being employed in uh, a variety of fields. But, you know, a, a lot for ecological work as well. You can record observations, locations, dates, um, and you can help uh, record ecological and environmental data on species and plants and species of animals and plants. Um uh, quite easily um, using a lot of these apps um, such as you know as we know frog ID and herb mapper these are different ones that we've used. iNaturalist is a is a little bit across the board and I think that's going to be the main uh, I guess uh, citizen science data collection app that's going to be run up here on uh Kulula Bioblitz this year. I think
1: it's terrific to see um, how these new technologies are being embraced and how they're being utilized effectively and in ways that really engage, really engage people, and, and could engage anyone. I think that's uh, that's really terrific, and I think that's definitely a step in the right direction in terms of utilizing some of our modern
0: technology. Absolutely. Look, access, access, access. Um, it's what lets people get uh, you know involved without the ability to either access data um, or access expertise. Um, well, uh, you know how, how are you going to go out and become part of that um, uh, I guess community of scientists and that's what these uh, things allow you to not only do they have the technology to um, you know, for example with Frog ID with their call um, recording and, and playing um, or with uh, a lot of these apps you know there's obviously images that you can upload and this and the other um, but a lot of it is just that networking and access to information and uh, communities of experts and other people who are trying to do the same thing as you and you uh, it, it, it really, um, yeah, it's a great thing for everybody who's involved. Uh, I would say.
1: So, for anyone who ha- didn't listen to our first uh, Kalula Bio Blitz show, I'll just ask this question again, Yanni: What is the value of these kinds of ecological surveys?
0: Well, I mean, there is a number of uh, things. Uh, first of all, we've already spoken, I guess, about the, uh, I guess, social and community aspect. Um, But uh, aside from that, you know, really getting a handle on uh, the amount of biodiversity there is in an area can be very, very important. Obviously, um, if you don't know what is living in a certain area, it's going to be very hard to conserve it. So having a baseline biodiversity survey lets you kind of get an inventory um, of what is in a region or, you know, in in a certain ecosystem. Um, and once you have that inventory, you can, from there, I guess, either compare it to other areas, whether they are more or less disturbed, and kind of make some goalposts um, from there. Of, uh, these are the things that we're trying to improve here, 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 and here, and then make a plan of how you're going to achieve those targets for, you know, whether they're threatened species recovery or ecosystem restoration or or whatever they are. Um, without baseline data, such as we have from, um, uh, you know, these kind of surveys, you're not really going to know. The other thing, though, is um, we're in an area that is um, very diverse. There's a, a, a lot of uh, interesting ecosystems. There's Wallam heathlands, we've got some eucalypts, we've got these dunes and these coastal areas. And uh, this area is not uh, very highly surveyed, right? We're in an area that has not had a, a, you know, the most intense on-ground amount of biological survey. So there is a good chance that uh, not only are you getting an inventory of the things that are here, well, you might actually be finding some new things as well in general. And that seems to have been the case with spiders last year. And I, I wonder,
1: what, what are we going to find this year? That's, that's the million-dollar question, isn't
2: it?
0: Well, yeah, um, well, we've definitely got, um, I know uh, uh, Rob White uh, from uh, the Queensland Museum, uh, the Robert White, the spider, spider expert, is going to be out here. Um, so uh, I, I'm sure I, I think last year they found 37 new species as we spoke about with him. So uh, it'll be really interesting to catch up with Rob and see what they found so far and um, if, they, uh, if they have any new discoveries for us. Uh, it'll be very exciting.
1: And perhaps there might be a global media sensation like there was in regards to the uh, discovery of the new spider species. We could potentially see one of those. And I personally think it's great um, that people even... That's even on people's radar. That's something they care about. That's something significant. I think that's definitely a great sign.
0: Yeah, and again, that's one of the other positives that comes out of um, a project like this where you've got so much community involvement and, uh, and experts like uh, Rob White and all the other people that are down there. It does draw a bit of an eye to the area and it does um, you know, put the conservation and biodiversity message out, uh, out into the public uh, sphere a little bit more as well, which is never a bad thing
1: absolutely not and i guess what we we would like to see is more of that wouldn't we more engagement more interest uh through the media through citizen groups that's that's could really only be a good thing
0: ideally ideally which is why um we're so happy to be uh heading up to this bioblitz and can't wait for uh there to be some more i think we're going to be pretty regular bio blitzes from here on into the future at WCC but um, I do encourage you um, all to get involved Uh, look up uh, the Queen uh, the um, first of all the uh, uh, national government bush blitz program um, which uh, runs uh, has been running blitzes around Australia for uh, a number of years now Um, but look do also keep an eye out for the next uh, Kalula bio blitz Um, there's gonna be more I believe um, and uh, I, I imagine that if you have any local wildlife or community groups, um, they might also be interested in having some of their own bush blitzes as well. So, um, yeah, definitely look up into the uh, uh, the National Bush Blitz Program. And, uh, yeah, we'll, um, we'll see how we go once we get here to Kooloola. I think we're uh, getting close to our destination.
1: I think we're probably about 10 minutes away. So I guess we'll wrap up here and we will chat to everyone soon and... Bring you some terrific interviews and some great fun and a bit of a snapshot of the action from the Kalula Bioblitz 2019.
0: Looking forward to it. Looking forward to some spiders um, being uh, being May rather than uh, August, September. Hoping for a few reptiles, but uh, it has been a little bit rainy. We'll see how we go, but uh, very excited to be heading in. And here we are. I'm sure um, you can hear all that hustle and bustle in the background. We're at the Rainbow Beach Community Hall uh, for the second ever Bioblitz. Now, um, yeah, um, we are uh, a little bit later than we made it here last year um, uh, but we actually made it in at a fairly fortuitous time. It seems that all the teams are pretty much coming back in from the field and they've all got some crazy interesting things to talk to us about. Um, I've got some of the team leaders here. Um, to my right, we have Sandra Tuchinska. Um, she's the fungi team leader also from wood inc she's the uh, environmental projects officer there she's a mycologist and super interested in all the fungi that we're going to be finding around here uh, to my left i have mr louis weber um also uh doing some tours I believe at Woodfordia Inc. Um, He's the uh, plant team leader um, and a UQ science and botany graduate and across from me Mr Roy Sonnenberg, um, the bird team leader, former president of Birds Queensland and part of BirdLife Australia. What a busy morning. Um, I'll start with you Sandra, How's, uh, how's the mushrooms looking?
3: They've loved the rain.
0: (laughs) I can imagine. Yeah, like last year when we came, it was, uh, I think, a little bit later and a little bit drier. Yeah,
3: it was really tough. I ended up going out with Robert collecting spiders. (laughs) (laughs) But it was fantastic anyway. Um, But, you know, whenever you go to a rainforest, there's always some fungi to be found, so...
0: Yeah, I remember all the mycologists quite excitedly tearing open logs and looking for myceliums and things like that and not really finding a lot of fruiting bodies but some pretty cool mycelium going through some of those rainforest logs.
3: Yeah, yeah. And of course this time all the showy beautiful mushrooms are popping up their heads and... We've seen, for the first time, I've been kind of dreaming to see this fungi. <clears throat> it's called the entoloma, the blue entoloma, and it's blue and it's beautiful. It's uh, I've, It's been a dream of mine to see it.
0: Is that that? It kind of looks like almost like a bluish, smoky kind of colour.
3: It's really blue. It's the ones you've seen on, like, up just up there. We've got a display of them. They're oh, okay. really blue. Like, it looks like an alien kind of a creature. <laughs> and I got, we got to see it. It was right on the Paluma, on the way to Paluma Lake, um... So I was, you know, screaming with joy because I was like, I, I really wanted to see it. And it's right here. Like, Nice. And nice. the joy was so loud. Apparently, all the other teams came and going, what's going on? <laughs> and we all stood around and hoveled around this anteloma.
0: Ah, <laughs> uh, that's great. That's great. Well, look, um, with the rain coming down, I imagine uh, the plant life is going to be a little bit greener than some of the crusty, dry stuff that we saw last year. How's things been, Louis?
2: Yeah, it's been really interesting, um, flora-wise. We've got um, a few things flowering due to the late wet. Um, some of the Heath species, Apacris, um, Styphelia, various Ericaceae. Um, and yeah, we've had some, some interesting finds, um, potential new species of Casuarina.
0: Yeah, I saw that. You guys were um, fawning over a, a lovely uh, Casuarina. For, for those of you guys who don't know, um, it, it basically does look... Uh, I guess it does have almost like pine needle-esque, sort of uh, long uh, phylloids or uh, leaves, uh, kind of more pin-like, and a very small kind of, uh, well, I guess it's almost like a pine cone as well, but about the size of a small marble um, for the uh, casuarinas, for those of us who don't know. Is that it right there by your foot?
2: Yeah, this is this is it here. Oh, wow. Um,
0: so this is a potential new species of casuarina.
2: Yeah, so it's, it's a dwarf casuarina from the Wallum, and it grows on uh, sedimentary rocks rather than the sand, so... We got it out at um, a little, a little mountain along the road here, and it's um, there's other relatives in the Sunshine Coast, the Mount Emu She-Oak and the, the Mount Coolum oak and stuff. So it's a, this area, this region is a hotbed of Casuarina evolution.
0: Very cool. It does actually look um, a little bit different from most of like the Casuarinas and Aloe Cajurinas that this I've is, seen. Yeah, like, it's
2: it, Aloe Casuarina, yeah. um, and yeah, it's quite distinctive from the Aloe Casuarina littoralis, which is the very common one grows up to 15 meters and this one's only up to one to five meters so it's a lot smaller it's much bluer the foliage and it stands upright and it's thicker
0: yeah wow it, it is almost sort of very turquoise and it does look like um what i would almost assume to be a stunted plant but is i guess that's just how they're being very small and, and low kind of coastal plant is that very kind low of
2: nutrient what? soil yeah yeah very interesting well look looking forward to hear
0: uh, more about that and uh yeah, new potential new species of alokazrina. That's very cool. And uh, wow, onto our uh, our bird nerd for the uh, for the trip, um, Mr. Roy Sonnenberg. How have you been? How's uh, how's the bird life out here? I, I hear the rain may have been putting a bit of a
4: damper on some of the feathers. Yeah, the birds have been a bit quieter, um, particularly small passerines, the birds that fly around and perch in trees, and that a little bit harder to find uh, because there's a lot of um, swamp bloodwoods and. Uh, uh, Melaleucas flowering at the moment. There's heaps and heaps of honey eaters. Like we probably recorded about 12 species of honey eaters, and not just one or two of them. Wow, no, that's quite significant. Bulk honey eaters here. They're just everywhere. Um, pretty much what I expect. Uh, quite a few waders still here. Yeah. Uh, down off on the sand spit off the end of Inskip Point.
0: Yeah, I think we uh, mentioned last last year we did see some eastern or, or somebody saw some eastern curlews. Out yeah,
4: there. no eastern curlews. I think they've all gone, but a couple of wimbles, a number of great knots. The New Zealand breeding double-banded plover, which migrates here, it's the only wader species that migrates here during the winter months. Oh, really? Breeds in New Zealand, comes here and overwinters here and then heads back to New Zealand. What an oddball. So quite a few of those around, um, quite a few things like um, uh, great knots and uh, gray tailed tattlers and things like that. The usual oyster catchers. Uh, so yeah, pretty pretty good birds. Um, yeah, great. Uh, I, I was hoping as well that, that you know, with the,
0: being this time of year being a little bit warmer than the last Bible, there might be a few more reptiles. But I guess uh, not so with the uh, the weather coming down on us. No,
4: last year down down at Ninskip, I found there were sort a few guanas and a couple of frill neck lizards, including one about maybe. Um, 350 millimeters long. Oh wow! And but not a sign of a reptile down there today. No mm, oh, bugger. Um, oh, well. Though yesterday we just out of town here we saw a, a pied butcher bird fly down and grab a, a gecko. <laughs> but I suspect it got the gecko off the back of my car. So. Yeah. <laughs> so well, probably there, there's going to be a few of those house gecko. Asian house gecko that came for a ride from Brisbane and uh, it's now. It didn't last long once the butcher bird got it up there. So,
0: well, look, I, I guess uh, we we have to uh, get onto a few more interviews soon. But um, I guess I'll just throw this out to any and all of you. Um, how um, how's the survey been for you overall, and how does it compare to uh, for those of you who were here last year? Um, how does uh, how does it compare?
3: Well, for me, it's been huge because there's been rain. So, and apparently, <laughs> it's rained almost all year since February. Um, but the other really interesting thing is, like, the colours. We were looking for colours. A few photographers were with us. And, you know, we were like, oh, let's hope for a purple one. And then, lo and behold, there's a purple fungi. And today, there was, like, salmon and pink. And all the colours of the rainbow we've covered pretty much. So, we're pretty excited. And the other thing that we found yesterday on the uh, frog walk... This has been a dream of mine for 20 years to see a peripatus, which is a uh, velvet worm. Oh, also absolutely, known yeah. Um, and I got to hold a velvet worm, which is an evolutionary link, a living fossil between a worm and an insect. It was the most amazing experience, and it was in the wallum. wasn't as it's supposed. To, supposedly, they only live in rainforests, but when we and you found, found it in the, the wallum. It was amazing. Is
0: it? Does it look like any of the other species? It looks the... exactly
3: the same, like, like morphologically. Of course, the colors always vary, but it's the most amazing animal. So I will put up a video of it um, somewhere.
0: Fantastic animals, and uh, a lot of them hunt by throwing a casting a net.
3: Yeah, this gooey stuff that was all over my phone. Yeah, and the way they b- breed is the funniest thing. The Sperm gets deposited on the female, and the skin dissolves and sucks in the sperm. Goes through the <laughs> you know the, the blood system, and then it gets to the ovaries. Very cute, cool animals, with, and beautiful mothers. They look after their young. So
0: amazing, velvet worms. Yeah, yeah, Woo-hoo. velvet worms on the uh, on the list. And uh, <laughs> yourself, Louis.
2: Yeah, it's been a really good survey getting into the the great sandy rainforest again. It's um pretty much globally unique tall rainforest growing on sand, massive cowrie pines. Um, yeah, full of orchids and just really lush. And so was there a lot of people taking part in the plant survey this year? Yeah, there was a, a fair few people. Yeah, so um, yeah, we've had a lot of interest, and we got over a hundred species at our first site. So, um, yeah.
0: and uh, maybe a new species of alocajarina. So that's very exciting. And uh, Roy, yourself, how's? Uh, I know you uh, maybe wish for a bit a bit drier conditions to have a few more birds up in the air but uh you've had a you've had a good survey so far we
4: did we did we got lots of good species some one of the highlights i guess has been a couple of very large flocks of the large rainforest topknot pigeons yeah very cool and um, both mornings we've had flocks of maybe between i'd say 70 and 100 fly over wow really interesting flying pattern it's like a big big um flat u uh not like like some of the water birds that fly in the in the in the arrow shape, but yeah, so pretty exciting to see those, uh, and just yeah, just seeing the birds up here. Always
0: good to kind of get up okay. into this area, yeah, yeah, awesome. All right, well, look, thank you so much, guys. Um, we've got some more interviews that we've got to get to, but um, thank you so much for your time, uh, guys. That's been Sandra, Louis, and Roy, and uh, we're gonna move on and see who else we can chat to. Uh, thank you so much for joining us, thank by the way, you guys. Thank so much. Thanks. All right, we've got our next crew of Bioblitz team leaders here um, and another collection of uh, fantastic naturalists. Uh, to my left, we're gonna start with Mr. Rod Hobson. He's the uh, reptile team leader with over 25 years experience as a park ranger. Um, and across from me, I've got Mr. Joel Foston on team pandanus. Turns out there's, there's a huge amount of plant and pandanus diversity up here in the Kalula Sands area. And uh, to my right, Joining us once again on the show, Mr Rob White from Queensland Museum and joltscience.com.au leading the spider team. Rob, I'm going to start with you. Um, obviously, a lot of spiders uh, last time out, um, how's the spider diversity looking for you this time?
5: We'd have to be doing something incredibly good to match last <laughs> <laughs> last year's 37 new species that went viral across the entire world. and. Uh, Lindy was telling me it got onto Reddit and there was these comments coming back like 37 more reasons not to visit Australia <laughs> and uh, will you guys just stop looking? Yeah, <laughs> yeah <laughs> you're,
0: you're working too hard obviously.
5: Yeah, but we actually had a wonderful two days today. This uh, BioBlitz is brilliantly organised. Everything is learned from the first one and now Lindy and Randy are starting to develop best practice ideas and getting consultations from other people to say um, how are you doing your bush blitz because I've heard it's the best. (laughs) Yeah, so that's really fantastic. Uh, We did get a lot of new species as well and uh, got through the specimens better, did lots of sorting out in the field so I didn't have to go and release them back in there. Uh, So really concentrated on the, the key things that we knew that we didn't have. And also we're now dovetailing our records into iNaturalist, which gives us automatic GPS for your, um, your, your official record. And then that is good enough data with the photo to go into the primary databases that we really are targeting, like Atlas of Living Australia and WildNet and other ones that the government has with the Department of Wildlife.
0: Fantastic. I heard iNaturalist was being used to digitise a lot of the data, so that's a fantastic way to kind of keep track of things. Um, and uh, spider-wise, uh, some cool peacock spiders. I know you're into your crab spiders and jumping spiders. Um, anything, uh, anything that you can divulge to us? A uh, potential new species that's uh well, popped up so far?
5: I really never did not expect to get a peacock spider, and it was like you know getting the big yeah, we got one. <laughs> 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 two in fact. Oh, wow. um, they live in the grass trees apparently, and we're out on the uh, the, the wallum uh, near the fens. The fens are these kind of springy mattresses of vegetation. when you walk through them, you can sink down a- about. A meter easily, uh, and uh, so you've got to go carefully, and then you come out to where areas are actually water in between the springy mountains of vegetation. And if you step in there, you just go down
0: <laughs> forever. And I believe that's where the frog guys were looking for their acid frogs. Was it? Was it not? Uh, in, in some of those acidy heath and wallam swamps, they yeah, were after some acid frogs yeah, in there, some yes.
5: the crinias. Yes. Yes. And. Uh, So we did that hillside, and today it rained, but one of our participants had a marquee, just happened to be in the back of the car, so popped up that and sat under that in the rain. And the amount of diversity that came back today was astonishing. And big things too, like great big wolf spiders and um, myglamorphs, you know. Uh, Alex, he's turning 13 next week. He's uh, second in line after Liam as boy genius.
0: <laughs> so, <laughs> so Alex and Liam, these are our young uh, arachnologist extraordinaires yeah, yeah. running around with you, are they?
5: Both of them raising all sorts of critters at home, including um, Morse, which they feed and rear up. and uh, But m- much more than me, they, they found a house centipede. And you know, I wouldn't have been able to recognise that. You know, it's not a spider for a start.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, we do have Mr. Don Sands here to help with uh, some of the other insects. I've I've seen him running around. So yeah. if we get into trouble with the invertebrates, he's here as well.
5: Yeah, did you get uh, news of uh, possible new casuarina species? I
0: did. I did I did hear mm. about that as well. Very, very fascinating. And, uh, yeah, looking yeah. forward to hearing more about that for Botanists sure.
5: Botanists outnumber arachnologists about 2,000 to 1.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, there is a lot of work to do. Obviously a lot of diversity um, in our pandanus plants um, with Mr. Joel Foston leading the pandanus team. Um, I had no idea that pandanuses were so, um, so prevalent uh, in the area. <laughs> um is, yeah, is that something uh, that's uh, been uh, you, uh kind of in your focus for a while now or?
6: yeah five years looking just at pandanus and pandanus dieback in particular yeah right um yeah it's been an amazing five-year journey i've gone from like a botany background to yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah a whole wealth of insects animals reptiles um that pandanus support yeah so right. the Pandanus tectorius. It's a coastal species spread by oceans. It's marine dispersal. Um, So yeah, right right across eastern Australia, as far south as Port Macquarie, Um, and yeah, they've been under threat. Probably an estimate, approximately 50% of the pandanus in southeast Queensland, the population has. Been decimated by at least fifty percent in that time.
0: Really, what is what are some of the what's the I, I guess do we know the main risk factor there or yeah, main cause?
6: There's one main cause, but I found some other interesting um, pests in the in the meantime. But the Pandanus uh leafhopper, or Pandanus plant its name is Jamala australiae. It was originally endemic to northern Australia and. It hitched a ride on landscape specimens like so many of our pests and diseases. Indeed. It's happening locally and globally. Um, So, yeah, what's fascinating, uh, it's, it's a beautiful biological control story. There's a little micro wasp that lays her eggs inside the eggs of the pandanus plant hopper and then wasps emerge rather than leafhoppers and help to keep the population under check.
0: Fantastic parasitoid.
6: Yeah, so that's been my main focus is to spread this knowledge and awareness that we don't have to let them all die and that there's a really simple way to help out um, with a simple monitoring program. And, yeah, I've been implementing that with councils and national parks Fantastic. across Southeast Queensland. About to head down to Coffs Harbour next week to look at a suspected outbreak there and do some community education.
0: Yeah, wow. Well. Fascinating. Look, uh, this is, uh, for me, um, like my first time hearing a lot about Pandanus dieback. And um, if anybody else is interested, you can jump on Facebook at Pandanus Dieback Education to find out more from Joel um, about uh, that phenomenon. Um, How? When was this recognised that they were kind of uh, in a bit of trouble? How long ago?
6: Early 90s, first outbreaks noticed down here. Um, Before that, it was described in 1906 and nobody thought or seen it since because it only inhabits pandanus spiralis up in the north and potentially other species, no one's looked at it and I myself have only focused on southeast Queensland and northern New South Wales. Yeah, right. Um, Yeah, so it's uh, early 90s and then some amazing researchers uh, and it was a big collaborative thing at the time with the Noosa Council and QPWS and CSRO and um, they did the research uh, and one one expert knowing uh, plant hoppers or leaf hoppers, knowing that they all around the world have these little parasitoid wasps that help keep them into check.
0: Often that are quite species specific. Is that correct?
6: Exactly, and that's exactly the case with this this uh, pandanus plant hopper and the wasp that we. That we're uh, dealing with,
0: right? Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess the hope with anything that is that species specific is that you know it, it will prevent the chance of it you know busting out of containment and uh, being another one of those biological control yeah, agents that goes a little bit. The first haywire. thing
6: people say to me is not going to be another cane toad, is yeah. it? <laughs> but the good thing is that wasp release was done in the late '90s, um, so I didn't let them out. Yeah. But I've <laughs> I've got 20 years of of um, being able to assess. Okay, so how, how how well has it worked? And has it jumped anywhere else? And that. As I'm walking along, that's everything that I'm looking at.
0: So, is it pretty much like now the caterpillars are pretty much a, uh, uh, sorry, the parasitoids are pretty much now a a pretty natural phenomenon. It's not something that they need to continually keep releasing, which, as I understand, is the case for a lot of greenhouses and things like
6: that. Yeah, they'll, in a a broad geographical sense, they'll they'll persist in the population, but there's localised extirpation, localised extinction, um, and it's a it's 0.9 of a millimeter, so it's really small. So it can't always get itself to where it needs to be yeah, right. in a new infestation, and that's where humans can come come in. And I, I feel that's our like moral obligation as right. custodians of this planet. If if we've created a problem, just be there to help nurse it along and, yeah, and let evolution those
0: protecting parasitoids or, or whatever issue it is that needs to be kind of helpful.
6: So yeah, I've got five years of data of where there's been no monitoring. I've got great data of where the wasp was not found for five years, wasn't released, and so five years of high levels of dieback on Gari. Um, so all of that is preventable, you know, with this tiny little wasp, a jar full of 50, and you can save tens of thousands of pandanus. is, is really a miracle, but it needs that constant monitoring. Yeah, needs that tw- at least twice yearly just to make sure it's getting
0: where it needs to be. Well, without monitoring, I mean, you're never going to know when the problem is, are you? Yeah. Well, fantastic stuff. And look, uh, for anybody who's interested on Facebook, Pandanus Dieback Education, do go check them out. And uh, our other guest here today, are D- uh, Mr. Rod Hobson um, on the reptile team. Um, I can imagine that the rain has put a bit of a dampener on some of our reptiles once again.
7: Yes, yeah, that's correct, mate. Right? We're a bit late in the season as well for yeah. reptiles. So, uh, well, I
0: was I was hoping, because um, l- l- the last blitz was uh, August, September, mm. right? So I think uh, this one was going to be a little bit warmer. I was like, oh, yeah. we might be just catching <laughs> the end of the season, but then we had that cold snap yeah, a couple of weeks ago. Yeah,
7: we had that cold ago. snap, yeah. So. It
0: seems to be that as soon as you get that fi- kind of first cold snap of winter, a lot of our reptiles kind of just disappear.
7: Go oh, for cover, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we got some – we did get some good uh, – Oh, not great records. We, got, we did manage to record some skinks, a uh, little friendly sun skink, which is quite a common one through here. Yeah. The um, eastern water skink out in the fens. Yeah. Um, and uh, what else did we see?
0: No sign of blind snakes or seranus skinkus yet?
7: Uh, or? We saw car- uh, pectoralis, which okay. is one of the rainbow skinks. And, yes, I mentioned, mentioned blind snakes. Um, one eluded me today which (laughs) I rolled rolled over a log and I think it was Annie Ola's Sylvia which is Sylvia's blind snake which is peculiar to... um Great Sandy down to about yeah. uh, Noosa, yeah. down that way, yeah. That would have been a find. Uh, yeah. I know
0: that people have definitely been keeping their eye out for that. I, yeah. I, I believe uh, herpetologist Scott Iper told me that if uh, anybody sees one of them, um, to give him a call immediately and he'll jump in the car. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um,
7: They're actually quite um, – they're reasonably common here, but of course uh, you just don't see them being a blind snake. The best, best way – along a big fallen log or somewhere like that where there's a build-up of litter – uh, they like hanging out along there. They they only grow to about um, uh, I don't know 180, you know, 200 mil. So they're only tiny little fellows. As far as, I think they're the side to the imported. Um, flowerpot snake they're the t- tiniest australian snake so yeah right yeah and for, bit, for yeah. anybody who
0: hasn't seen a blind snake they really do look uh, almost worm-like but when you pick them up they're hard and cylindrical almost that's like right. a piece of uncooked spaghetti that's the one yeah. um and uh, but moving and uh trying mm. to dig through the cracks in your fingers yeah. like uh like you're made out of soil
7: yeah well uh, they are quite common because, but of course you're not allowed to go digging around in national parks for them. <laughs> and, and for uh, good reason and they're um fairly well Confined to all our protected areas. So they're, they're not. people don't really come across them. You hardly come across blind snakes anyhow. Yeah. Uh, a good time is to drive the roads around here at night time when, when it's heavy rain because yeah. they get flooded up out the sand. Yeah, yeah right, as all that uh, yeah. you know, subterranean air pockets
0: fill mm, up, they've got to come up right. and get a yeah. breath, right? Yeah. So
7: um, I suspect that was one. It was either that or, or one of the... A young Proximus, which is another blind snake that's here, but they're usually pink when they're that small, rather than <laughs> rather than uh, slightly slightly brown, oh, grey. So I mean, slightly grey, like this one was, yeah.
0: Yeah, right. And uh, and uh, no sign of the uh, snake-toothed Serranus skinkus, uh, no, old reticulated. No,
7: uh, no. I've seen them here. Uh, in, I've seen them here um, re- and around Ballamian and. Um, out in the heaths, when we, when I we used to work as a ranger, we burned them, they used to come out on the track, we didn't burn them, we burnt the heaths, <laughs> they'd come out on the tracks and Do, the tracks. doing
0: Doing, uh, you know, uh, the natural uh, burning as is part of ranger procedure, mm. uh, not just randomly setting bush on fire.
7: That's right, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> burning, that's right, yes. Yeah, very good. Mm.
0: Well, look, uh, I'm glad that you um, did actually find some diversity, uh, I'm sure uh, once we talk to the frog people they'll be a bit more happy with all this rain. Um my uh, my ongoing question to everybody is, uh, you know, if uh, how many of you were here last year as well? I know you were definitely here last year. Yes, I was here last year. <laughs> yeah, and how do things compare? Um, I know that they've uh, definitely upped the ante a little bit.
5: Well, different places. So mm, last year we went to locations which um, were not rainforest, and we thought that we would. I don't know, we chose them kind of at random. We thought that the it would be very crowded in the rainforest because it was a high-priority destination. And uh, we went there this year, and I was astonished. It is really good-quality rainforest and uh, quite mature. Of course... A lot of stuff is in the canopy. Maybe 20% of the the spider species would be in the the canopy and always in the canopy and never on the ground. So uh, you've got an extra level of diversity that we don't have access unless we fog or or climb up there or or do...
0: Get um, in a cherry picker and go looking for spiders. um, Cherry picker? It'd have to be a really big cherry picker. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, with some of those rainforest trees, yeah. Well,
5: some of the agathis, you know, the, the Queensland cowrie, fantastic to see. Them because they use as a street tree in Brisbane, but fantastic to see them growing naturally there. Yeah, incredible. The strangler figs, you know, little trees—well, relatively little trees—you might be saying like thirty meters high, but fairly skinny. These strangler figs are just up them, and uh, you could see that that would give you a few uh, footholds and handholds. Habitat Um, niches. Yeah, 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 yeah. absolutely. So uh, the first. Uh, Biomean gave us a lot of what I call cobweb spiders, um, uh, redback family, uh, about three times as many in that family as any other. It was the next most uh, common one, which was the jumping spiders. Of course, we are actually targeting things that are active during the day or easy to dislodge from foliage during the, the day. So we get a lot of jumping spiders. But having the the kids who are now into their, say, fourth, fifth experience like this is incredible, you know. I was calling on them for IDs quite a lot. Uh, Well,
0: I I also – I guess I imagine having that many people doing different kind of search techniques kind of eliminates some of the bias that you might have just doing it yourself, you know. uh, You'll be at one canopy height, um, your eye level, for example, whereas, uh, you know, having some smaller people that might have a few more eyes on the ground. Yes, and
5: other interests, you know, like um, other obscure families, they've looked at this one. So, like Liam was interested in the maturgids. Uh I know nothing about the meturgids because uh, Robert Raven took care of that for me. <laughs> uh, and same with the mygalomorphs. Uh, they're really into those. Uh, so, I had really good knowledge of the jumping spiders. And so, they don't bother with the jumping <laughs> spiders. They, you know, they say, well, they're too hard. And anyway, we'll, Rob we'll, knows we'll leave that. All.
0: We'll leave that for Rob.
5: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And then today at in the Fens, in this kind of Wallamy woodland, extraordinary diversity and abundance because it didn't have any canopy. Everything was more or less on the ground and things were flowering. So we had white flowers, yellow flowers, pink and purple flowers. And then right towards the end, uh, Linda, who had actually arrived quite late, she started sort of clawing at the bottom of pandanus uh, uh Bases and grass trees. It, yeah, grass trees. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> no, she wasn't on the pandanus. Thing. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> next <But> year, <laughs> <laughs> next year we must do that. But uh, grass trees, Xanthoreas, and got a, uh, a maratus anomalous, which has this intensely iridescent blue, um, complete blue greeny sort of abdomen. Which and it was displaying. ...in the tube, in the specimen tube too. Yeah, together, wow. You know, and uh, I thought uh, I could put them in a tray, them together... ...and they would probably have that antagonistic display, you know. Um,
0: uh, Get out of my space type of yeah, thing. Yeah, like
5: exactly. But I, I decided that would be risky, they could escape... ...so I brought them back here... ...because they're kind of the holy grail of, of collecting. But the, the holy grail really is to have great records... Uh, base level data for so much stuff and it hasn't been recorded from here, have excellent live uh, photos uploaded immediately, shared through a project and have uh, also uh, the scientific work done and attached to those photos so that we can actually um, have those records go in and um, obviously eventually those new species, I've probably got about maybe 15, 20 new species this time. So, you know, just... Not, not the 37, but still 15
0: <laughs> to 20. We, we can't complain too much with that. I it? think
5: we ought to think of it cumulatively. <laughs> <laughs> and we could do a release, say, if it's 20, you know. It's so, so 57 new 50, species now. Now up just to 57. yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> and you keep adding a year and all the other new species. That's fantastic. Um, and, uh, Rod, uh, I guess, uh, is this your first or... This uh, is my first one, right? Yeah, you know, yeah. And And uh, how have you the whole experience yeah, it's they, great. They, they put on it's a been. great blitz here that um, yep. I, I believe um yeah the uh, kalula coast care organization um, and fido um, yep. put on a fantastic event for sure
7: yeah no it's been fantastic i got to caught up sorry i've got to catch up with a lot of old friends uh, people i've worked with before ranger stuff i worked uh, i know the area but i haven't been back for since 2000 really and so one of the really pleasing things when when the fence, when I went go back to Quebec, the fence, I did a lot of work on the fence when I was over here originally and uh So it's like uh, yeah, coming coming yeah, back home a little bit. And we, we, there's a yabby here called um, Cherax Robustus, which is uh, a swampy abbey and um it, we, we we found it all over Karari, but we never found it here in the habitat it should have been in. And this time we found it so, yeah, right. and it's just it's actually in a bad shape. It's uh, disappeared from most of its mainland habitats. Wow. It's confined to the sandy areas of South East Queensland, um, the strongholds of the Sand Islands and Kalula. So having
0: found it here, does that make a range extension for it? Or?
7: No, no, it's uh, it's found, we thought it'd be here, we couldn't find it, we searched and searched and searched for a long time, and this time we found it again. Yeah, okay. So it's good, and I think it's probably because they've actually done a lot of, I was in behind the dump. I think they've actually you know, really cleaned up the act with the dump and there's not all the leachates and stuff going into the and. I think it, it looked great. There was Kooloola sedge fogs calling there and everything. It was Wow, so the water quality has probably had a bit of an impact. Yeah, I think it's uh, in right. better shape than it was 20 years ago, in that particular area at least. Yeah. Well,
0: that's fantastic to hear. And uh, Joel, yourself, um, I guess, uh, how's the uh, Pandanus dieback situation here in, uh, in Kooloola? Is it, is it uh, looking as severe as it is in other parts of... Uh that's a
6: loaded question, hey. I've um, <laughs> looked at this, this stretch of the coast for, yeah, five years now. Um, there's a little bit of frustration i won't go into details with with some management that could have got done in the long time but um all in all it's it's looking very stable at the moment compared to what has been in the past um
0: well that's positive progress which is always good to hear yeah
6: and it was great great to come here and
5: uh, it was great to collaborate with joel too because he's uh trying to find what lives in there and uh, uh, I've looked at his spiders that it's collected in the last two days it's an entirely different cohort Right, so the pandanus
0: supports a completely different fauna than a lot of the, I guess, the fens and rainforests for sure
5: Flatties, which are trochanterids, which are um, appropriate because there's only little narrow, squeezy spaces in between the
6: leaves.
0: And uh, And between the fruits, again, I imagine that you could fit some thin little spiders in there between some of those pandanus fruits.
6: Yeah, oh, yeah, there's, yep, (laughs) interesting. (laughs) A lot of crevices. And and
5: so, yeah, Joel told me that these flatties are really very common on these and I've never seen one before on that type of flatty, you know, so... Well that's amazing. So I'm really looking forward to working with him in the future.
0: Awesome. Well always new things to to, uh, find and I'm sure that there's going to be another BioBlitz coming up. Um, uh, I'm guessing you all uh, all will be returning in uh, 2020 for the next one.
5: It's a good place to come to. I mean I think it'll be November so it'll be um, uh, warmer than August it was last time and uh, maybe we'll get a bit of rain. It's so different uh, we've had nearly eight weeks of mild, light rain, like the best kind, where it's never really totally dried out in the last uh, little while. And so I know that uh, the fungi have been completely insane, you know.
0: And, and, that, and again, and like last time when it was dry, we had very few fungi. Virtually none, yeah. yeah. And uh, we had a lot of birds last time, and then this time not so much because of the rain. So I guess the conditions are always going to make it interesting whenever we come up here.
6: And I'll be back. Yeah, there's a table full of insects that have come out of the pandanus. I'm yet to put names on. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm, uh, yeah, I think we need to put an invitation out for for more experts in the field of entomology. Dif- dif- yeah. Entomology,
7: yeah, yeah wow, well, uh, to come join in.
0: I, I guess we'll all be having a look at the pandanus insects with uh, with Mr. Sands at some point. I imagine.
7: Yeah, um, and the ground parrots are in really good shape last night.
0: The the what's ground parrots. Ground parrots.
7: Yeah. Oh, really. We, we heard a lot of them last night. Oh, that's down, fantastic. Yeah, we went down to uh, down to the Clulutha Way, and we probably heard about a dozen birds calling wow. right on dusk. Yep. Yeah.
0: Ground parrots. That's yeah. Uh, yeah. That's a big one. Very very yeah. cool.
7: Yeah. And. A couple were sighted, so, yeah. Oh, you great. saw a few as well? Yep. <sighs>
0: Dude, that's very, very cool. Look, well, on I, that I didn't p-
7: see him, but people with us saw him. yeah. No, at least I, somebody did. Yeah, <laughs> did, yeah did we get any
0: photos or just a quick sighting no, I'm calls? not
7: sure, but I heard him. We all heard him. yeah, so it was great. They were Fantastic. really in fine, fine, fine voice.
0: That's, uh, that's uh, very good to hear. Apparently
6: someone nearly got hit by one. You know? <laughs> oh, <really? laughs> that's yeah. right,
0: yeah. Well, yeah. on that very positive note, I think we'll uh, we'll have to wrap it up here for now. Guys, thank you so much for joining me. It's been an absolute pleasure and um, I'm sure we'll see you um, around the tables. No problem. Cheers, Jenny. Thank you. Cheers, guys. All right, and we're back. We are here with Mr. Ian Longnose Morris, the famous conservationist and... Uh, He is part of the, uh, I thought, mammal team, because you're uh, quite well known for a lot of your work with uh, vertebrates, but uh, I understand you're on the team critter overall.
8: Yeah, yeah, my training's in uh, marsupials, actually, uh, originally, but I I like the big picture stuff and if we're talking about marsupials, it's good to sort of see where they fit into the the overall scheme of ecology and uh, so I'm able to do that on these trips. Uh, So I look at plants, I look at animals, uh, and I look at seasons and climate and all that sort of thing and try to make sense of it all. So they've got you looking at a little bit of everything? Yeah, yeah. I guess the whole idea is to build a big picture for, for the Kalula Coast area and, and Fraser and um, that's so, that's what everybody's doing. So we've got experts in all the areas all putting in their data and, uh, yeah, making a, a a good picture. You can't manage an area effectively until you understand it, you know, and so I just admire the people around here for doing what they do because that's exactly what the intention is, to be able to make it last as long as we possibly can. Yeah. Uh, you know, we watch all sorts of parts of Australia deteriorating because of, um, you know, driven by the economy more than anything else. So, you know, we're clearing huge amounts of land. We're, pu- we're pouring cattle onto what was once wonderful natural areas and um, nobody's really worrying too much uh, overall. So I get very excited and I'm always happy to contribute to a scheme like this. Um because it's going in the right direction.
0: Yeah, particularly when there's so many community members being involved as well, sure. and, and getting everybody, yeah. um, you know, uh, working towards a common goal like that is, um, is, is for me, is, it's actually quite inspiring to see.
8: Well, as an outsider, you know, I live in Darwin. Uh, to come down here and join into a group like this is like, it's like sort of going forward in your life a year in a couple of days because you meet so many interesting people who've got so much background and experience and, and everybody's sharing. So you can hear them in the background now. They're all just yaking away about all the different experiences and, and uh, you know, you just think what sort of country would Australia be if this was allowed to happen more often, you know, yeah. get our minds off making dollars and, and their minds on to how to manage the country we, we're proud of.
0: Absolutely. Well, look, just over your shoulder I can see several people crowded around a, a laptop and a microscope and they have a bunch of uh, specimen jars there that I uh, imagine are full of either fungi or invertebrates of some sort and they're going to be sorting through those um, as we speak. Exactly. Yeah, fantastic. So um, bringing it back to your, um, I guess, first of all, more specific area of expertise and then onto the more general picture, Um marsupials and mammals in the area. I imagine being a bit more of a heathy area, there's probably not a whole lot. But what role does um, do, I guess, uh, marsupials and small mammals play in the Kalula Sands region? Is there a lot of, uh, I guess, soil turnover that bandicoots and things like that are responsible for? Or, uh, I guess, pollination as well from a lot of the
3: bats?
8: Exactly, yeah. I know they're all playing a, a vital role. It's interesting, there's not a lot of macropods uh, around this area, uh, not a lot of possums in the coastal areas um and low numbers of bandicoots i i saw good evidence of uh probably long-nosed bandicoots uh in one area out near lake Puna today but uh, on the whole mammals are in low densities in this area but uh invertebrates are in extraordinarily high densities here so you know they're obviously taking care of a lot of pollination and that sort of thing um
0: is that something to do with the soil quality here? Um, I know it's uh, some of the soil quality here is, uh, is quite different. A fair amount of low nutrient type of stuff in the area, aside well, from the actually rain. Actually,
8: the vegetation is in pretty good shape. Yeah, um, and diversity is high in the plant uh, area. So I'm not exactly sure why you would have such low density of uh, kangaroos and possums. Um, and uh, it may be a natural thing. It may be a, you know a more recent in the last couple of hundred years, perhaps. Um, but anyway, uh, we're, we're looking at that and trying to find out what the, what the story
0: is there. Yeah, fascinating, uh, I, I guess, uh, and how that affects the overall uh, ecosystem of the area would be uh, something to look into as well. My
8: word, yeah. And, and this is unique. This, this area is definitely, I mean, everywhere you go, they tell you their area is are unique. But, but this, uh, this zone, Kalula-Fraser zone, is, is quite different to anywhere else. And uh, well worthy of uh, the study that it's getting, and and the, the promotion. And I can remember years ago John Sinclair saying that um, Fraser Island and the Kalula Coast area it will be f- worth far more to the state of Queensland in its natural state than uh, any economic use, short-term economic use, we can put it to in the meantime. So that was his whole aim was to preserve this this area. And, the more I look at it, the more I can see his reasoning. It is—it's quite unique and, and special.
0: Absolutely, particularly with the amount of, I guess, um, uh, ecosystems and microhabitats that are kind of in the area. There's—you've got your tidal estuarine and freshwater ecosystems from the Mary River mouth opening, and even Noosa River kind of coming up through that. Uh, lovely Everglades area just to the uh, south and a little bit inland um, and uh, I guess even the Wallam Heaths that we've mentioned the rainforests and then onto the coastal dunes and, and wetland areas so there's a real mix um, in quite a small area.
8: Exactly and because of all the sand I mean that that to me that that's the exciting aspect of it a lot of these great big rainforests we've been walking through are, are built on sand and, and sand dunes and
0: Not exactly the most uh, nutrient-rich medium. No,
8: but then there's a very rich uh, top layer. So obviously the, the fuel is cycling through that top layer pretty
0: fast. Yeah, there must be quite a fast rate of turnover of all that decomposing matter.
8: Well... Some of the species of trees here I'm familiar with from other parts of Eastern Australia, but here they grow bigger. <laughs> so that tells you something about the nutrients here.
0: Yeah. Um, and meanwhile, meanwhile, uh, the new species of Allocasurina that has been discovered is a little 1.5-metre dwarf. Sure. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, they come in all sizes. Yeah, so there's always going to be, uh, you know, uh, uh, something else to break the rule as well there, which is fascinating. It's uh, just, uh, yeah, just such a diverse area. It's uh, quite amazing.
8: And I think, uh, yeah, I think, other Australians need to to know this, and I think it'll even affect uh, areas like tourism in the future, where people will come to see these unique things. So uh, you know, it's got it's got a great future, I think.
0: Absolutely, I, uh, I I know that the Kalula area already has quite a um quite a significant watching tourism uh, sector, but the uh, rest of the biodiversity around here, I'm sure, will start drawing some more of that as well, very very soon, particularly with all of these discoveries being made here, and um. And with the uh, (laughs) – is that a pied magpie lark that just uh, entered the BioBlitz room and flew over our heads? A happy little peewee. Yeah. (laughs) So plenty, plenty, plenty of uh, nature around, obviously. Um, I think we're going to have to wrap it up there for now, but thank you so much for joining us, Ian. Um, uh, It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you, and um, I guess uh, will will you be here for the next BioBlitz uh, in – Oh well, whenever it comes if up. If
8: I have anything to do with it, I certainly will. It's it's magnificent. Yeah, wonderful. Miss it for quids.
0: Awesome. Well, look, everybody, that's uh, Mr. Ian Longnose Morris, um, and uh, we'll be back with some more interviews very shortly. Cheers, guys. And we're back up here with Lindy and Randy Orwin. Um, these are the wonderful two people from Kooloola, uh Coast Care um, who are organising the bioblitz, um, and for two years running. Guys, how's it been so far? We'll start with you, Lindy. Um, uh, obviously, a lot to manage, but uh, things seem to have gone really well.
9: It has gone really well. It was a lot to manage. We really miss John Sinclair from Fraser Island Defenders Organisation, who we sadly all? passed. Yeah. So we really miss his guidance, but it, we've done him proud. We've uh, got at least a hundred people here. We got ten people who came in off the street and joined us as well. So we've had, you know, this, more people this year than last year. We've had fifteen scientists of. Every shape and form, and lots of sightings, lots of exciting moments with people coming in. Eureka with new new species.
0: Well, we've heard um, nothing but good things from everybody so far, and everybody's. Uh, one of the questions I've been asking is how things have changed since uh, since last year, and uh, we've heard nothing but positive things. I guess for yourself, Randy, what's uh, what's different in uh, 2019 compared to uh, Biobliss 2018?
10: Well, for me, I think we were much better prepared for the data collection side. Uh, We decided to involve more technology in the process. I
0: understand iNaturalist is being uh, employed uh, throughout this bioblitz?
10: Absolutely. So I looked at lots of different applications. iNaturalist kind of met the bill for being able to be being used offline as well as online.
0: And I guess being over a broad number of species rather than, for example, Frog ID, which fantastic as it is, is a frog app or like some of the plant apps or, or things that are a bit more, I guess, class or group or species specific.
10: Absolutely. iNaturalist is is very generalist approach. If, it, if it's alive in some form or another, then you can find it in iNaturalist. And it's also the largest online community for biodiversity studies around, really, when you look at it. Um, 27 or 28 million photos or something have been recorded so far to date.
0: Wow, that's huge. That's a massive network. Um, and I, I guess a lot of those people are, um, I guess, in some way or shape contactable if you don't know what you're looking at.
10: Well, absolutely. We actually, a really interesting iNaturalist story is I was looking at people who had found different things in our area and I noticed that there was somebody who was within 50 kilometers and he has ID'd like a thousand moths over the last couple of years. So I we reached out to him and, and now Ian is actually friends on Facebook <laughs> and he couldn't be here at the BioBlitz this year and so he's at home waiting to see the records come in. Yeah, And right. he's doing IDs for us. Uh, and, and that was all done through iNaturalist.
0: That's fantastic. Well, that's one of the fantastic things about a lot of these apps is you don't have to be in the field or necessarily 100% uh, you know, a technical expert to be able to help a lot of the time. You can help on the back end with data sorting and analysis or, or anything like that, which I find um, you know, super, super amazing. Um, just that way that I guess it involves everybody. Um, it's really, really useful for getting the community involved, I, I imagine.
10: Well, for us, the, the thing we wanted to have was be able to get the records with a nice photo an actual gps coordinate upload them into iNaturalist, and then the community can help us do the ids because we have good photos right and and that's really the goal is is to do that when you do it on pencil and paper the problem we ran into last year was how do you marry the photo that somebody took who was in a group of 10 people with that record that the leader put down on the piece of paper right. when we didn't actually put a field on the piece of paper for that information. yeah. And we found it incredibly difficult. And iNaturalist has really solved that. And as the weekend has progressed, more and more people have gone, wow, this is, this is really cool. I had a, a person who was here who's actually a scientist but came along just as a participant and she said, can I use iNaturalist in my own field work and create my own projects? I'm like, by all means, please do. <laughs> Absolutely, that's what it's there for. Um, I, I guess in that sense it's kind of like quest a
0: game. You know, it's, it, it is open enough to kind of let anybody use it.
9: And the, the value for us is those records become research grade when you get multiple IDs. So we're not just basic citizen science, we're then full research-grade data that the the research community can use. And that's what's missing, is there's so little government funding available to get this work done by government employees. If we can give high-quality data that is research-grade, then... We're, we're contributing to real science. It's not just a nice outing in the bush with a guide. Well, that was
0: one of the things that is, is kind of, I guess, so uh, such a, a great hook for community and uh, members and people in the public is you do actually really get to participate in science. And on something on such a scale of this, I, I'm just reading some of your um, uh, data from last year. Over the, la- uh, the first few days of data collection, um, there was over 700 observations logged. Um, and that is probably less than half the total data, I imagine. Um, some very busy botanists, you know, recording over 60 plant species, um, and some 40 grass specimens yet to be uh, identified at that, at that time. And, um, you know, all those new spider species and everything. Um, and people have the opportunity to be a part of that, which is really, really amazing. I guess, uh, just, uh, I know you guys haven't done too much data collection so far, but how's the observation count going? <laughs>
10: Well, the observation count in iNaturalist right now, when I I looked about a half an hour ago, uh, we've had about 20 people who have logged into iNaturalist, actually uploaded something to be ID'd. There's about 35 people who've added themselves to our project. And then the number of actual IDs that that are coming in right now is about 180 sightings have been recorded that have photos and, and accurate GPS information. And then within that, there's been about 70 species ID'd so far. Yeah, wow. And uh, how, how how do you think we're going to progress? Do you think
0: we're going to go over the 1,000 uh, observations mark in the next few I days? Have, I
10: have right now. Um, our fungi person has given me every photo that she took, which yesterday was in the neighborhood of 900 images. <laughs> wow. And then she's actually adding more photos to that drive now, so I'll have even more and we'll actually upload most of those that are a unique type of fungi. Then we had the wife of one of our leaders, she went along and she took 186 photos and she said, here's all of my photos, they're all geo-tagged, and by all means, go ahead and upload those. So even if we did half of the fungi IDs plus all of the other IDs, we're gonna add 600 photos to iNaturalist easily. Wow. before this is all said and done so we'll be close to a thousand records with photos and accurate GPS information.
0: Wow and uh, I, I guess the op- uh, giving people the opportunity to be part of that is is, is a large part of uh, the whole BioBlitz uh, uh, co- uh, cooperative spirit. I, um, I guess for you Lindy what's more important um, the scientific outcomes or the education and community engagement or uh, I, I obviously
1: both. I see
9: those but, uh, as, a, as a yin and yang. Yeah. If we don't engage our youth in these events, then I think we're missing a really valuable opportunity because research shows that people who take science careers can pinpoint a point in their youth where somebody made a really significant impact on them. And, and it's, it's called a,
0: My First Reptile Textbook.
9: That's it. And, <laughs> and in this case, we have um, 14 young people, so 14 teenagers who were here who... Um, did things like the first ground parrot that was seen was by an 11-year-old. Wow! So they've they've contributed a lot to the actual finding of new things and finding of existing things. It must be because they're lower to the ground. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's how they find those ground parrots.
9: Yeah. But they were they were active participants conducting the science themselves and there's that opportunity to change their lives forever because if we don't get them young enough, they haven't taken the right subjects in high school and then they can never change into a science career.
0: Yeah, it, it does become difficult if you don't uh, get your foot in the door early and uh, start start reading those books. Yep,
9: and we also had a group of seven uh, bachelor young people come along and they did a welcome to country for us. That's awesome. And joined us in the field. And that was a really valuable thing. And Jade Gould, who does the liaison between the Bachelor and our group and Fido, she drove in from Gundawindi to do that.
0: Wow. So a lot of people obviously going to a lot of effort to make this cooperative community science event
9: happen. Absolutely. And, and it's a two-way street. The young people have things to learn from the, the, our mature age scientists, and the scientists have a lot to teach the young people. It's a two-way thing because the young kids, they'll grab the tech and just eat it alive. Yeah,
0: and uh, we keep hearing this um, from uh, from most of the team leaders. It's uh, having those young kids with their, their different perspectives, uh, not just height perspectives but, you know, uh, overall perspectives on, on the world. Uh, it really does enrich uh, the data collection and the, and the whole experience for everyone.
9: Yep, and we love it when our scientists come back in the room like... Robert White just did waving two vials in the air saying I've got the holy grail.
0: <laughs> was that his peacock and spider? <laughs> that was his
9: peacock spider. So he was so excited and that Louis Louis Weber has come in with a new species in his hand that he thinks is going to have you know to take into the herbarium because he can't identify it. Yeah. So The scientists get a great kick out of it because they're making new discoveries. They're doing it with these people in the field who are learning from them. And so we've got a real science balanced with the education.
0: And I can tell you just from chatting with these people that their uh, enthusiasm is infectious as well. It is, it is.
9: And we ran from 7am with the early morning bird walks through to two thirty, I think they got in from the frog walk last night. So wow. you get value for money out of the weekend.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. So you'll you'll get a bit of exercise as well.
9: Oh yeah, yeah <laughs>
0: wonderful. Um, I, I guess this is a question for both of you guys. Um, just uh, in terms of the Kalula region biodiversity, with everything that you've seen and and uh, all of the the um, I, I guess uh, input and data that's coming in. Um, is uh, there anything on your radar for the next bioblitz that you want to target? Is there any risks or threats or any areas that you think need more surveying?
9: I think the big question for us is what season do we have to hold it in right. to get the, to get a, a total picture? Because we've done a spring bioblitz and now we've done um, the autumn bioblitz and we're wondering... What do we need to look at at which time of year so that we build that overall picture?
0: Right. What are you missing in, uh, in, in if you're only running it once a year?
9: Yeah. And so we're trying to um, spread them over that, but based on the science. So we've been quizzing all our scientists in their fields as to what will be the appropriate time to have the next one so that we get a balanced look at the data across all those different areas rather than specific species. It's more can we get a good global picture of this environment because there's so little information about this and yet it's on the World Heritage Tentative list. It's a UNESCO biosphere reserve. It's a Ramsar wetland. Yeah, right. It should be teeming with scientists.
0: Yeah, right. So, and, you, and you want them coming when those animals are there. Not, not, you don't want to be just listening to a reptile nerd like me who says, hey, let's do it in summer, there'll be reptiles. Um, you're going to miss a, a lot of the migrating birds that way, for example.
9: But we can cater for that. By having more than one. Yeah, by having more than one.
0: (laughs) Lots of bio-blitzers then, um, uh, to be sure. Um, Is that the uh, plan for the future, to be uh, running a few more throughout the, I guess uh, we've done an autumn and a spring now. Is is summer next on the plans? Because as a a reptile guy. Yes,
9: we're looking at at summer as an option. And we've also applied for a grant to do a marine bio-blitz. Oh,
0: that's very cool.
9: Yes. So we want to do wolf rock and we have... Whereabouts is that? That's offshore near Double Island Point and that's the grey nurse breeding area, manta rays, eagle rays. Wow. And so a famous dive site. It's a protected area. We have our our marine biologist who's done our underwater biodiversity studies already involved. We have the local divers, Wolf Rock Dive, who are really keen to take people out and we want to see what else is down there living with those sharks because we tend to see the big stuff and we don't necessarily look any further yeah, so there
0: could be some very uh, interesting species of nudibranchs yes which i'm very big fan of or, or a lot of other cool uh, very cool marine invertebrates um i guess for yourself randy um some technical challenges uh working in a marine environment i imagine
10: uh definitely i think when we when we look at, at an underwater bioblitz it's definitely people who are are certified divers are <laughs> the only ones that are going to be able to participate yeah um in that but we're also looking at Tech as well in in the marine environment, and we're looking at the various types of underwater drones that are available.
0: Oh, uh, is is there kind of plans to set up maybe a a, a wet lab for samples and, and and bring things in to have a look at them that way or?
10: Well, that way as as well as the photography, the underwater photography. So you have you have uh, some of the new drones have 4K cameras on them. They have lights, the whole nine yards. Um, they're they, are, they can go to depths of 100 meters and, mm, and the you ROV. just drive them from the surface wow. using your phone basically is what it comes down to. That's very cool. Um, so, And it's live streamed from underwater through a cable to a buoy that floats on the surface that has a Wi-Fi transceiver on it and then you just watch the buoy float around and then you have your phone or a controller and you drive the drone that way. Wow, That's, so, um,
0: <laughs> that, that adds to the, uh, the uh, Blitz side of BioBlitz for sure. A little bit of technology there. Very, very cool. Definitely
10: technology. And that that for me, that's kind of what drives me is I want to teach scientists how the technology can actually make their job better, more efficient, easier, um, and then we can gather better data. Yeah. And that's what we're seeing this year with with the tech that we're using, Um, a smartphone in your hand.
9: And a scoop for you? Yeah. Randy's talking about running a technology and citizen science for nature Boot camp here.
0: Oh, here here, um, at the community hall in in Rainbow Beach?
9: So come and and spend the weekend with us and learn how to use apps, how to use your cameras, what kind of devices are available to magnify your, your lenses, all that tech but come and just learn to use the tech in the field.
10: Field science tech? Yeah. T- tech in the field for 21st century naturalists. That's
0: very cool. Boot camp for uh, nerds. Yep. That's 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 Absolutely. excellent. And, and is that going to be through uh, Kooloola Coast Care as well? Yep. Yeah, yep. Wonderful. I guess we'll uh, we'll definitely be keeping an eye out for that then. that's uh, That sounds like it's going to be a great opportunity.
9: But we don't only stop at the tech and the science. We've also got a grant to plan an art blitz
0: oh. based
9: on what we've discovered. We have council funding to put, work with artists to say how do we communicate the science through public art in the community that's to fantastic. raise the awareness. So we're working with people like Julie Gibbs at the gallery, Zila Bissett, who's here, who's, who does a lot of work with that that's inspired by nature and she works in paper and felting and... And drawing and painting so we'll have the art blitz as well that's so fantastic
0: because oh, look a lot of the time when we do come down to you know talking about conservation it does get a little bit dry and we, we refer to things I guess in terms of their ecosystem services or or just the the mere numbers of biodiversity rather than uh, the aesthetics Yes. Which uh, I think uh, is what draws in a lot of other people is the, the beauty and the experience of being in nature whereas uh, some of our scientific rambling can get a little bit dry now and again so I, I, having that, I guess, artist connection is, is really, really important.
9: Well, they can communicate in a different way and if we've got 97% of scientists who say there's climate change and people still won't believe it,
0: <laughs> we've got to
9: communicate a little better. <laughs>
0: yeah, we, we we need to paint.
9: <laughs> so... So our goal is to use lots of different ways to communicate the science and to help the community see the science through public art, sculpture, banners, um, you know, paintings on big murals on walls, that kind of thing. So that's our art blitz that's just happening over the next three months.
10: And And that very ties into one of John Sinclair's underlying beliefs was you can't change people's mind until you affect their heart yeah and by using art in the environment we can touch people's hearts and then that will engage the minds and then they'll engage with us in a much better way
0: absolutely well this is the hope and uh you guys are doing a fantastic job uh, w- getting people involved with this so uh, you know Hats off, obviously, to everybody here, first and foremost. I guess just before we wrap up, um, what's the uh, – so far, uh, there's probably some more to come, but what's your uh, most exciting experience of BioBlitz 2019 so far? Any um, any interesting uh, discoveries or experiences that you guys have had yourself that you can uh, divulge?
9: Well, I've spent most of my time in the hall keeping things rolling, <laughs> but just when they went out on an impromptu – ground parrot listening. We did the listening because they're so hard to see, you don't get to see them. So a great big convoy of almost half the people went out into the field and just parked in the on the roadside, got out of the cars on chairs at dusk and listened to the song. So we played it here first on, on the speaker system so they heard it and knew what it would be like. They went out and then... They were surrounded by them. And one of the participants has actually come down from far north Queensland, and he was a ranger here. And he said he can remember feeling so lucky to hear one call only 10 years ago. And now they were surrounded by a chorus, and they got to see them. And another group, when I was talking to them about it, said as they were walking along the track, one flew right around them, did a circuit around them on wow. the track.
0: The, that Pizzophorus genus is, uh, you know, they're just such an amazing bird and um, I know that they are, at least some of their populations are declining. So uh, to have them recorded in such numbers here, just by going around and having a bit of a listen, yeah, that that is amazing. How about yourself, Randy?
10: Well, I think I have two things. Um, one is... Really the impact that my pushing the tech has had on some of our mature scientists who initially were like, tech, I don't do tech, I do pencil and paper. Uh, one in particular this afternoon, by the time I was done talking, he was like, I need to learn how to use this tech stuff in the field because that is just, that changes the game.
0: We get stuck in our ways some of the time, but uh, yeah, pen and paper in the field, it's its a crutch you got to give up at some point.
10: At some point. But I think one of, the, one of the most amazing things was we did our late walk last night. Not as late as the froggers, but um, we, were, we were out till about 12.30. And we did a walk up past the ranger station up towards the blow. And we had a young man with us who I believe is about 14. And he has become this kind of maniac spider kid almost like almost like a a mini rob white yeah (laughs) and so we're out in the field with our headlamps and he sees spiders and he's like oh that's this species or that's in this family and and even the naturalist that was with us was like wow man you you are really good at this whole spider thing and the naturalist was finding spiders and calling this kid over and saying what is this? <laughs>
0: it's, a, it's amazing to see like a seasoned expert, um, you know, maybe works for museums or universities, ask, uh, you know, Liam or one of these other like 12, 14-year-old kids, get them over to, for a little bit of their expertise on, on one of these things. Uh, that is,
10: and yeah. that was Liam.
0: Yeah, wonderful. Yeah.
10: So that, I, I, just, I just thought when the naturalist starts asking this kid, what, what spider is that? Uh, that's, that's awesome.
0: <laughs> and, and, again, a lot of that is to do, I guess, with uh, the access to information and the ability to, um, you know, uh, have that at your hand at, at, at a moment's notice.
9: And those opportunities for the experienced people to mentor youth. Absolutely. And that's, that's really powerful and that's been really strong in this group because we had one little girl who'd come with her mother and she made her mother buy her a brooch from the jewellery stall that we had of a dung beetle. <laughs> <laughs> and I think if you can get a, like an 11-year-old girl to insist on wearing a dung beetle brooch because she's been out with them when they've done the, the capturing, then I think we've made an impression on her.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, we'll call that a success, definitely. Oh well, look, we've been wrapping up on some positive notes uh, throughout the show, so let's keep that going. Um, we're pretty much going to leave it there for now. Um, thanks again so much for having us up here, um, and for you know um, to all of our amazing guests uh, from Ian Longnose Morris uh, through to Rob White um miss sandra chusinska Louis Weber, roy sonnenberg and uh as well as joel foston and rod hobson um all uh some amazing uh team leaders that you guys have had up here um they're all uh, a lot of them are, i think are going to be uh Coming uh, next year, or or is it going to be maybe towards the end of 2019 that the next bioblitz will be? What do you guys think? We're just
9: <laughs> juggling that. <laughs> I'm not committing to anything at this point. We okay. have a science festival to run for 900 children in Fair August.
0: Enough. I guess, I guess we'll uh, keep an eye out on kalulacoastcare.org.au uh, for more details of that. Uh, guys, uh, don't forget to check out Coastcare on Facebook as well. You can check out the Fraser Island Defenders Org at uh, Fido, fido.org.au and on Facebook at Fraser Island Defenders Organisation. Um, for more upcoming Kalula Bio blitzes. Uh, jump on Facebook at
9: Kalula Bio Blitz, and I'm guessing the next one will also be up here at Rainbow Beach. It will and... And we're very grateful to our sponsors as well because the Gympie Council's been right behind us. Um, Fresh Promotions have made us beautiful badges. The Rainbow Beach um, boomerang bags have made us our conference bags. We've had uh, support from the Queensland Water and Land Carers who've flown in Long Nose in from Darwin so he could be here for a tribute to John Sinclair. That's awesome. So our sponsors help make it happen
0: yeah fantastic what an incredible amount of support that they've been giving here as well so that's a uh, fantastic to see and uh again also waiting uh gonna keep our eyes out for the uh um the nerds boot camp uh <laughs> with uh, uh kalula by uh kalula coast care for the uh technologically challenged um all right everybody uh that's our show for today you can uh check out more wildlife cake and cocktails at wildlifecakeandcocktails.com.au. you can listen to us through apple podcast stitcher Podbean, and more and check us out on facebook and instagram at wildlife cake cocktails or on twitter at wcc underscore podcast uh, don't forget to subscribe and follow for updates and uh we are pretty much out for the day uh lindy randy thank you so much um it's been an absolute
9: pleasure thank you for coming
10: thank you we appreciate you coming cheers